following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're journeying through this Advent season and we're looking at a few passages from Scripture that kind of connect to the birth of Jesus and uh, teach us about the, the arrival of Jesus into the world from a few different perspectives. We looked a couple of weeks ago, do you remember, at uh, the book of Micah, which talked about the uh, significance of Bethlehem in the scheme of God and why God chose Bethlehem to send his son to earth. And I thought this morning that I would choose a, a totally different kind of passage that gives us a totally different kind of look at the Christmas story, because I know during, during the Christmas season that when we, when we read these Bible passages, we typically go for uh, Matthew or Luke, which are the ones that give us kind of the most straightforward account of Jesus' birth. Uh, where we hear of Jesus born in the manger and there's shepherds and there's wise men and there's an angel and there's Mary and Joseph and donkeys and sheep and that kind of thing. And that's the story we're used to hearing. That's the Christmas story that's familiar to us. But this morning, I thought we'd do something different. This morning, I present to you the Christmas story according to Revelation. Yes. Because why would you not go to Revelation at Christmas? Isn't that everybody's favorite book of the Bible? Yeah, it's great. And I mean, we never, we never think that Revelation's got anything to do with Christmas, do we? We, we assume that that's just a book about the end times and uh, Antichrist and Mark of the Beast and all that sort of stuff. Revelation's where you go if you want all of that strange stuff. But in fact, right in the middle of the book of Revelation, there is the Christmas story. Do you believe that? Right in the middle, in chapter 12, right in the middle of Revelation, we find the Christmas story of all places. So if you don't believe me, open up your Bible and have a look. We're going to read it. This is the Christmas story, but not as we know it. This is the Christmas story like you've never heard it before, all right? Are you ready? Strap yourselves in. You ready to go? Okay, Revelation 12. Here it is. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and, about to cry, and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. There you go, the Christmas story. There you go. I, I have not yet seen any of these characters on Christmas cards, to be honest. Doesn't, doesn't tend to happen, does it? But there's the Christmas story for you. Uh, there's a, a woman who lives in Louisiana who this year put up uh, a whole lot of inflatable dragons in her front yard. And she did it around the time of Halloween. And she got away with it because it was Halloween. And you can do these kinds of crazy things in Halloween. But then she's put these, these dragons back up at Christmas time. And she's put Santa hats on them. I think we've got a picture. There you go. She's put Santa hats on them now to kind of make them Christmassy, make them look Christmassy. But this has really got her neighbours upset. They're not happy about all these big dragons because the, the rest of the, the neighbourhood have got nice Christmas decorations up, you know, and inflatable Santas and things, not inflatable dragons. So one of her neighbours wrote a little, a little note to her put it on her door, I think, and said this, your dragon display is only marginally acceptable at Halloween. It is totally inappropriate at Christmas. 
It makes your neighbors wonder if you are involved in a demonic cult. Please consider removing the dragons. May God bless you and help you to know the true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> so, and, and I actually wonder whether maybe this woman has discovered the true meaning of Christmas. This is, as I read Revelation 12, I wonder whether she's onto something here. Because maybe in a way that her neighbors don't fully appreciate, she has discovered something from reading Revelation 12. That one of the central characters in the Christmas story is a dragon. I don't think she knows that, and I don't think she's aware of it, but I'm just kind of putting the pieces together here for you. Maybe she's figured something out and tapped into this at a deeper level than her neighbors have even realized. So what this passage in Revelation 12 does is it kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit for us, because usually we are so used to hearing and seeing and visualizing the Christmas story from an earthly perspective. Yeah, this is what we do. We, we know the story as it was the birth of Jesus in the manger and the stable and so on. But Revelation has this wonderful way, often a strange, confusing way, but wonderful nonetheless, a wonderful way of pulling back the curtain so that we see not just what's happening on earth, but what is happening in heaven. That's the perspective we get here. We are given God's perspective on the birth of Jesus. We are given this celestial vantage point to observe the cosmic significance of the birth of Jesus on earth which is hugely valuable for us and massively enlarging of our perspective on the Christmas story. So I want to walk through this passage with you and unpack some of its symbolism because it is heavily laden in metaphor and symbolism. But as we unpack this, I think you'll get a bigger and more glorious perspective on the nativity story than maybe you've had before. So let's dive in. The first person that we meet in Revelation 12 is a woman, a pregnant woman, and she's clothed with the sun. She's got the moon under her feet. She's got a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now, this woman represents Israel. Okay, this is not Mary. It's not specifically Mary, but this is the whole nation of Israel. The woman represents the nation. So there's this sense of Israel as a nation giving birth to the Messiah. Jesus coming from the nation of Israel. So this woman represents Israel. You can tell it by the crown of the 12 stars on her head, the, tw the 12 stars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And the moon and the sun around her, this represents the fact that Israel has a heavenly significance in God's plan. Israel was not just significant as an earthly nation. Israel had this heavenly significance in God's plan. So that's represented by the moon and the stars around this woman. So she's pregnant. She's about to give birth. Israel is about to bring forth the Messiah. And then we meet the second character in the story in verse 3, the red dragon. This is the enemy of the Christmas story, this red dragon. And the dragon in the book of Revelation represents, anyone want to guess? Satan. Yep, that's a really clear one. Right? It's one of the clearest references in Revelation. The dragon is Satan, the devil, the enemy, the accuser. And he's, uh, the dragon represents that Satan is fierce and the fact that he's red, red in Revelation is the color of war. You might remember that from the series we did on Revelation several years ago. Red in this book represents warfare, destruction. And so this symbolizes how Satan is bent on destruction. He's bent on conquest. He's, he's bloodthirsty. He is vengeful. He is bent on warfare and bent on destroying and tearing down and thwarting the purposes and plans of God however he can. And he has these uh, 10 horns and seven crowns and, uh, on, his, on his head. So the seven and the 10 
In Revelation, 10 is, is totality. Seven is perfection or completion. So there's this idea that Satan is the, 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 the embodiment of evil, that he is the totality of evil, that he's pure evil. That's what's being represented. The seven and the 10 represent that he is the total embodiment of all that is evil, all that is sinful, all that is wrong and destructive. All of that is personified in this dragon, Satan, the ultimate creature of evil. And the red dragon stands there before this woman who is about to give birth, ready to devour her child as soon as he's born. So you might want to add this to your nativity scene this year. You know, I think we've got a, got a picture. There you go. There's the, there's the red dragon there. You could just pop him in there beside Mary and Joseph there. And he's just waiting. He's lurking in the shadows, ready to devour this child as soon as the child's born. Yeah. And this is the Christmas story. So this is what's happening. This dragon, I mean, Satan recognized the significance of this baby who was going to be born. He recognized the threat that this posed to his kingdom and to his authority and to his reign and to the hold that he had over humanity. And so he aimed all his firepower at this child who was about to be born. We also have this reference to Satan sweeping the stars out of the sky. Now that's verse four. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. That, I think, is a reference to something that happened a long, long time ago, before Jesus was born, of Satan being cast out of heaven. That Satan used to be and was an angel. He was one of the most beautiful angels, one of the most spectacular angels in heaven. But at a certain point, he usurped the authority of God. He, he, he sought to make himself like the Most High, to make himself like God. And as a result, God cast him out of heaven and he took with him a third of the angels as he went, angels that were loyal to him, angels who were loyal to his reign. So that's, that's what you're getting there. In Jewish tradition, the stars often represent the angels. And so this picture of Satan taking the third of the angelic population with him and then they become his demonic powers and armies. He then wages war against God and all of his purposes. Now, that happened a long, long time before Jesus entered the scene as a baby. But it sets the scene. It sets the scene for what's to come. So then the climactic verse in Revelation 12 is verse 5. And here is the, the Christmas story itself. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Now, this is clearly the birth of Jesus. This is the birth of the Messiah. That phrase that he will rule the nations with an iron scepter, that's taken straight out of Psalm 2. That's a reference to Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. It looks forward to Israel's coming Messiah, this king, this king who would be ruler not only over Israel, but over all the nations, over all nations of the earth. And he'd rule them with an iron scepter. It, it represents that absolute rule, a total rule, a complete and absolute authority over the nations. This was the Messiah who was to come. And Revelation is pointing at Jesus and saying, he's that one. He's the Messiah who was to come. He's that baby who was born as a king. And one day when he comes again, he will rule the nations. You see, in a way that the first and the second coming of Jesus here are, are, are being fused together. You have Jesus who was born as a baby of a woman, and yet he is the one who will rule the nations. And we know that when Christ comes again, that's exactly what he'll do. He will rule over the nations. He will have direct, total, complete rule and reign over all people. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is still ahead of us. 
So you have sort of the first coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, all fused together here in the birth of this Messiah, this child, this royal baby who is the king, the promised Messiah of Israel and the world. And then you get this strange sentence at the end of verse 5, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. It seems quite strange. I haven't read that in the Christmas story. You know that as soon as Jesus is born, he's suddenly snatched up to heaven. Where did this happen? Well, I think with Revelation, you've got to be careful not to take it too literally. It's full of metaphor. It's full of symbolism. I think this represents the way that God protected his Messiah. He protected Jesus right through his earthly life, protected him from the clutches of the dragon, protected him from the clutches of the evil one. And then when Christ's earthly life was over, God drew him home. God called him home and snatched him back up to heaven. This is the ascension. Snatched him back up to heaven and to his throne. So you really have the whole life of Jesus in that short little sentence. It really just glosses over his life, his death, even his resurrection. The focus here is on his birth. That's the big deal in this vision. There's huge focus on the birth of this child. The rest of the life goes by pretty quickly. And then you have this final reference in verse 6 to the woman. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Now, the woman, we've said, represents Israel. But at this point, because this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Israel includes all those, true Israel includes all those who are now followers of Jesus, who belong to Jesus, including us, including the church, including all those of us who are Christians. We are now represented by this woman as well. So this is now a picture of us. And she flees to the wilderness and she's protected by God for 1260 days. That's a strange reference. But those of you that are good on maths, it adds up to what? Three and a half years. That's half of seven. Right? In Revelation, three and a half years is a limited time, not a full time, not a total time. It's a limited time. That's the extent of my maths. That's as much maths as you need to do theology. There you go. A limited time. And that wilderness is the present life. So this is the limited time of the present, this woman who represents all of us. It's the wilderness wanderings that we go through in the present life. It's the way that life at the moment feels often like a wilderness. But even then, God protects us. He protects us and eventually he will carry us home just as he carried his own son home. That's the picture we're being given in Revelation. So you step back from all of this and it's a pretty strange story. It's a pretty strange picture and it's not one that we're used to hearing at Christmas time. But if you let it, I think this can enlarge your vision of what really went on that first Christmas. Let me read you a quote from Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He says, as a Christian, I believe that we live in parallel worlds. One world consists of hills and lakes and barns and politicians and shepherds watching their flocks by night. The other consists of angels and sinister forces and somewhere out there places called heaven and hell. One night in the cold, in the dark, among the wrinkled hills of Bethlehem, those two worlds came together at a dramatic point of intersection. So that is the picture that we're getting. Last week, we talked about the big story. We talked about how the, the, the Christmas story, the nativity story is part of this big, long story that stretches from creation all the way to new creation. You could think of that like the horizontal axis. And the birth of Jesus sits on that horizontal axis as part of a huge, long narrative, past, present, future. But it also sits on a vertical axis from heaven to earth to hell. 
all these dimensions of reality. And it sits in the middle of that space too. And the more that you can get the big picture of that vertical axis, the more that you will see the big picture of what Christmas is all about. That on the night Jesus was born, heaven and earth themselves came together. Because if God himself is now living and breathing on planet earth, heaven and earth have somehow intersected. Those two dimensions of reality have come together in a way they never came together before. The natural and the supernatural have collided. The spiritual and the physical have somehow come rushing together in a strange way that is unique in human history. This is the picture that we're getting. If you lived in Bethlehem and you were there that night and you were just doing what you normally did in Bethlehem on the night Jesus was born, it might have seemed reasonably ordinary. It might have seemed like a silent night. All is calm, all is bright. It might have just, unless you heard the angels singing or unless you heard a baby crying, it probably just seemed like a normal old night in Bethlehem. But what you would not have seen is that when that child was born, a massive spiritual battle erupted in the heavenlies. This is what you and I don't see with our, our natural eyes. A huge cosmic battle erupted. And we read this the very next verse in Revelation, in verse 7. Then war erupted in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought the armies of Satan and his angels. A huge cosmic battle erupted over the birth of Jesus because Satan knew how significant this birth was. Sometimes you and I don't even realize the importance of it. But I tell you, the dragon knew. He knew exactly what was at stake in the birth of Jesus, and he aimed all his firepower at that child. And all through the life of Jesus, even though you don't, you don't always read this in the Gospels, we don't always think about it and set, always in the background there is the enemy lurking through the life of Jesus, looking for every opportunity to take him down. I mean, right from the beginning, you think about King Herod's plot to take out all the baby boys in Bethlehem. You think about that genocide that he sought to undertake. Where did he get that idea? Who put that idea into his mind? Well, I think we can safely assume that if Satan entered into the mind of Judas to betray Jesus, he's also at work influencing Herod to undertake such a terrible scheme just to try and take out one child. And yet God snatched his son away to Egypt, protected his son from the schemes of the devil. And then again, after Jesus' baptism, Satan tries again. And he takes him out to the wilderness, takes him out to the desert, tempts him and tempts him and tempts him and wears him down with no food for 40 days and keeps on tempting, keeps trying to break him down so that he would destroy eventually the Son of God by offering him all these other alternative routes. And he offers, among other things, he offers him authority over all the kingdoms of the world. Do you remember that temptation? I'll give you authority. All these kingdoms, he said, you can, you can have that authority. And Jesus refuses him. And then in the end, of course, we see Jesus ends up with far more than that. He has all authority over heaven and earth. See, God always gives far more than Satan can ever offer. But Satan tried. He kept trying, he kept trying, he kept trying, until finally he influenced Judas and he manipulated the religious leaders and he masterminded a plot to put the Son of God on a cross. And I have no doubt that when Jesus died, Satan thought he had won. You know, we look back and we see the cross for what it is, but don't forget that when Jesus died, at the moment Jesus died, Satan really thought he'd won. He thought he'd done exactly what he tried to do there in Revelation 12, destroy this child, destroy this life, take out this plan, this redemptive plan of God. And he thought he had done it. He thought he'd succeeded. But what he didn't know is that Easter Sunday was coming. 
And on that third day, the power of God reached down from heaven and took hold of that life, brought Jesus back physically, bodily, from the dead, raised him from death to life. And Jesus walked out of the grave, walked out of the tomb, left death behind him, and with him a whole new future walked out of that tomb. A whole new creation walked out of that tomb that morning. A whole new kingdom walked out of that tomb that morning. And through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus defeated the dragon, defeated the evil one, defeated the enemy of God. He robbed Satan of his power. He robbed him of his dominion. He robbed him of that hold he had had on humanity, holding them, the Bible says, in the power of death for so long. Jesus broke his hold on humanity, robbed him of his kingdom, his dominion, his power, his territory, robbed him of his future and defeated him decisively through his death and his resurrection. And what this picture in Revelation shows us, I think more than anything else, is that the plans and purposes of God cannot be thwarted. They just can't be. I mean, the one who had the best shot at it was Satan. Yeah, I mean, if anybody could ever have taken down the redemptive plan of God, the rescue mission that God launched, it was the red dragon. He had all the firepower, he had the plan, he thought he did, and he failed miserably. And if Satan cannot thwart the plans and purposes of God, nobody can. God is ultimately sovereign and his work of redemption prevails in the face of the greatest onslaught that Satan can throw at him. The birth of Jesus is part of that huge picture. Are you starting to see it? This hugely cosmic picture. It's not just that Jesus had to be born. That was just a preliminary thing so that we could get to the death so that we could get to the resurrection. That's the main event. No, the birth of Jesus is significant. It's part of this huge victory that God has won over all the forces of evil. It's part of that picture, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. They all go together in this incredible cosmic victory over Satan and all of his forces. And isn't it amazing to think that that victory all hinged on the birth of this vulnerable baby born and placed in an animal feeding trough, that it all came down to that. The plan of the ages all rested on that. Heaven held its breath as Jesus was born. That was what was at stake. But God's plans and purposes prevailed. That's the big picture. And I th we need this kind of picture, I think, in the Christmas season because we're so small and we're so earthly, aren't we? And we're so small-minded. And we just see one little bit of this and we have this shrunken up little perspective of Christmas, really. And we can't, Christmas time rolls around, you know, and those of us that, that read our Bibles, maybe we pick it up and we read the story of Jesus' birth and we think, oh, I've got this. You know, I've heard this a million times. I don't need to read this anymore. I'm so familiar. Honestly, I, I feel like that sometimes. You know, I open up the Bible to preach at Christmas time. I'm like, what's new here? You know, the story hasn't changed since last year. Still pretty much the same thing, you know? A lot of the same stuff going on in the Gospels, you know? It doesn't seem to change year to year. And you can feel like, well, this is all just so familiar. But that vision in Revelation 12, it just has the potential to blow your mind. It just lifts you up to see, boy, we have this tiny little piece of the puzzle. And even Revelation it's trying to open up something else for us. But even then, I mean, we just see a bit more, but not still, we can never grasp the whole thing. But Revelation still says, hey, come up here. Come and have a look at it from this vantage point. 
Come and look down on it from God's perspective. Have a look at it now and let your mind be blown all over again by the cosmic celestial significance of the birth of that child. That's the invitation of that vision and revelation. Not strange stuff about the end times, but an incredibly magisterial vision of the birth of Christ. That's what we're invited into. So I think we need this because we're so familiar with Christmas. I think we need it because we get overly familiar with the gospel stories about the birth of Christ. And then we kind of get inoculated against the significance and the power and the impact that those stories are supposed to have in our lives. We need to have our vision expanded. And when you get up to that higher altitude and you start to grasp this cosmic perspective on life and the nativity story, I think it's also an opportunity to look back at your own life. And it shows you a few things about yourself in different perspective, doesn't it? This story also lets us look back on our own existence on this small little speck of dust that we call earth with a little bit more of a big picture view. Because we get so tangled up in so many things in our lives. And many of, many of you I know are facing real challenges in life at the moment, real problems, really hard stuff that you're going through. Some of you are really carrying heavy, heavy burdens. Some of you are, are carrying heavy loss, heavy grief, heavy stress, a lot of uncertainty about what next year holds. And we, and we bring all that on the doors and we sit here with that. And for some of you, that just feels like a weight around your shoulders. And these challenges and problems of life, they are huge. They are significant. They feel overwhelming. They feel all-consuming. But what this vision says to you is come up here for a minute. Just come up here and have a look for a minute. Just have a look from this celestial vantage point back at your life. Not just back at the birth of Jesus, but back at your own life. And as you come up there and you have a look, you see something a little bit higher up and further on than you see just in the day to day when we're so in it. And so bogged down in our stuff, we get to, to climb up to a higher altitude and see something that John saw. And we see something that Jesus saw. We see something that Paul, the apostle, saw when he wrote those words, my light and momentary troubles are achieving for me a crown of glory that outweighs them all. And you say, yeah, 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 but that's not me. That's Paul. Maybe his troubles were light and momentary. I've got some significant stuff going on in my life over here. You know, I don't know about him. You know, but Paul wrote those words. He had 195 scars on his back from a Jewish whip. That's what he was going through. Shipwrecked, persecuted, abandoned, rejected, eventually beheaded. That was Paul's lot in life. And yet he could still write those words. He could still reflect on all that and say these light and momentary troubles. And he's not downplaying the significance of what he experienced. He's not downplaying the weightiness of the troubles that come upon us in our lives. But he's saying, higher up and further on, there's something else you can see. You get a little bit higher and you see with more perspective these troubles that exist on this little ball of dust called earth that's part of a whole universe that God holds in his hand. And he rules over. This universe, he rules over this cosmos. He holds the whole thing and he's carrying it forward to the day when he's going to make all things new. And the promise is, the promise of this vision is that just as God protected Jesus through his life, will he not also protect you? 
That's the promise you have. If God protected his own son and snatched him out of the claws of the evil one, will he not also protect you? Because you are right there in verse six. You're going through the wilderness too. Some of you are in that place now. You feel like life's a bit of a wilderness. You feel like it's a bit of a barren desert. You just feel empty. You feel like there's not a lot of hope. I think typically if you're already struggling, Christmas tends to turn up the volume on that. Do you experience that sometimes? Because if you're already battling something and then you hear jingle bells in the supermarket, you know, it's just like now I've got to deal with that as well. You know, Christmas just seems to amplify the, the things that are already difficult in our lives. And yet God says, even though you're in this wilderness, even though you're in this really, really hard time, I am going to protect you through it. I'm going to carry you through it just like I carried my son through it. I'm going to give you all the strength that you need. I will pour my strength into your life every day. I'll pour my power into your life every day. I'll give you all that you need just for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough troubles of its own. You worry about today. I'm going to give you all that you need for today. I'll pour my peace. I'll pour fresh grace. I'll give you my own presence to guide you through today. And when it's all said and done, then I'll snatch you up to myself and draw you to my throne. That's the promise of God. I know some of you feel right now like you're being attacked. Some of you feel like you're being attacked by the evil one, and you may be. But just let this passage, let this vision remind you that the dragon's defeated, that the red dragon is defeated, that what you're going through, the difficulties and the hardships of life, that doesn't have the final word. That sin and pain and suffering, they don't have the final word. That brokenness and dysfunction and grief and loss and even death doesn't have the final word because the day is coming When Jesus will return again, not as a baby in a manger, but as a glorious and conquering king, and he'll wipe away every tear from every eye. And then that dragon will not only be defeated, he'll be destroyed. And we will live on with Christ and with one another in a glorious eternity where there is only peace and joy and righteousness. That's the kingdom of God. That's the promise of heaven. That's the new creation. And that's what this vision invites us to look towards. So I don't know whether you want to add a red dragon to the nativity set or not. You might want to go down that road. But hey, even if you just see a nativity scene around this Christmas, if you see a manger scene, and there's still a few of them around even in our secular age, just picture that red dragon standing there in the background. Not to, not to disturb yourself, not to frighten young children, but just to picture that dragon and remember that he is a character in the story too. But you picture him there in order to remind yourself that he has been defeated. And there is a whole other dimension of the story going on. Beyond the manger and the stable and the animals and the wise men and the shepherds, there was a whole other dimension of reality going on that night. And the birth of this baby in a manger was part of defeating and gaining victory over Satan and his forces and his domain. That's the significance of Christ's birth. I pray that that encourages your heart. I pray that it breathes some hope into the present for you, especially those of you that are struggling and suffering. I pray that it can lift you up to a higher vantage point that you can look back on life, whether it's good, bad, or somewhere in the middle, a bit of a mixed bag for you at the moment, and you can see that Christ has come, that Christ reigns, that Christ is king, and one day he will rule the nations. That's the promise. That's the vision. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these little glimpses we have in your word of the bigger picture of reality. And Jesus, we feel like our, we, we, we feel like our lives are real life. We feel like what we're living day to day is real life.
But there are these moments we get when you pull back the curtain and you show us this is real life. This is reality. You thought your world was the real thing. This is the big picture. And Jesus, I pray that through these little glimpses we get in your word and through the prompting of your spirit in our heart, that over the next week and a half leading towards Christmas Day, you'd lift us up above our little earthly vantage point. Just lift us up above our small-mindedness. Lift us up above our, our, our distracted kind of lives where we just busy ourselves with things that sometimes don't matter. Lord, lift us up above seeing our problems as just all-consuming and unbearable. Lift us up, Jesus, so that we can see things with your eyes, so that we can see things with this heavenly perspective that Revelation gives us, that we can see that you have come, hope has come, and the evil one is defeated. And now things are rolling forward to the day when you return in glory and make all things new. We long for that, Jesus. And we just say as your people, come Lord Jesus, come and make all things new. Come and restore this world. Come and heal our lives. Come and make this world what you always intended it to be. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come into this world. Thank you that you will come again. It's in your name we pray and worship you this morning. Amen. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.